Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the spring of 1995, I had graduated from Perkins School of Theology at SMU and had been appointed as one of the associate pastors at A&M United Methodist Church in College Station, Texas. I was well received at the church. It had been my home church before I went to seminary. I knew lots and lots of people and they knew me and they were gracious in their welcome. I was given various responsibilities at the church, including developing and growing a contemporary worship service. Oh, and then there was the fact that I was living a secret life as a lesbian. Because of the culture of the United Methodist Church, all that, all that had to happen to take me out was one phone call. It would take away my ministry, my job, my future opportunities. And in fact, a call was made. And my life was upended and I eventually left the United Methodist Church and left behind my beautiful office, the people at the church that I knew and loved, the ministry that I felt called to, and the life that I had known. You know, of course, that that issue still rages in the United Methodist Church. Just two weeks ago, prior to the second Sunday of Advent, you know the Sunday when we lit the candle of peace, 294 churches of just one conference the Texas Conference of the United Methodist Church voted to leave the denomination, largely over issues of human sexuality. The idea that some United Methodist churches have adopted an idea that love is love. And so on this fourth Sunday of Advent, this Sunday when we light the candle of love, and anticipate God's love incarnate, love coming to us in the flesh, there is this story of a man named Joseph. It is a love story. You remember, of course, when we began this journey three weeks ago on the first Sunday of Advent, that, and that, by, by the way, seems like an eternity ago, uh, that that we heard part of the genealogy of the gospel that's in the Gospel of Matthew. In fact, it, it starts, the Gospel of Matthew starts with the genealogy of Jesus. Now, I can't think of anything more boring, but that's how Matthew wrote it. So we're sticking to it, right? Is that how that goes? While it was designed to point to the genealogy of Jesus, it actually follows the genealogy of Joseph. And it's a list of some 40 to 42 generations. Evidently, Matthew couldn't count too well. So 40 to 42 uh, generations, including the likes of King David of Israel. And the listing concludes with these words. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, who bore Jesus, who is called the Messiah. In short... Joseph, who it would seem 
is not the biological father of the child Jesus, is descended from the royal lineage of King David. Yet we learn in today's reading that one person's choice could change it all. One thing could happen that would take it all away, all the prestige, all, all the rank. So what we learn is the person that does that is Joseph. He's the one who erases it all. Well, you know how the story goes. Mary's engaged to Joseph, and when it turns out she's pregnant and not by him, it's a colossal disgrace to him. Joseph had made a decision and would have every justification to reject Mary, and that rejection would be that as the entire village would know that she was pregnant out of wedlock, would result in her being disenfranchised from the whole community. She would be, hopefully, returned to her father's house. But nobody would forget this disgrace. And that was the good option. The bad option would be that she would be stoned to death for her indiscretion. Now, if we had been hearing this story told in the first century of the common era, I mean, you know, the first century after the death and resurrection of Jesus, if we had been hearing this story told then about a man named Joseph, we would have immediately thought of Joseph of the amazing technicolor, technicolor dream coat. I mean, that's where our minds would go because our holy scriptures would be the Jewish scriptures. And we would know that story. We would know it backwards and forwards. And so just like that ancient Joseph was a dreamer, so is this new Joseph. This new Joseph dreams as well. And in that story of Joseph, the son of the patriarch Jacob, whose brothers were so jealous of him and his father's love for him that they assaulted him and sold him into slavery and lied to their father about his death, some interesting similarities are here between these two Josephs. I mean, there in where he was transported to in Egypt, he gained a reputation as a dream interpreter and came to the attention of Pharaoh and was elevated to a high position of the government. And it is from that position that he saved Egypt from their famine. In the meantime, his family was still in Israel and they were in a dark famine. And they came to Egypt to find relief and there, unbeknownst to them, they encountered Joseph. And you know how the story goes. And it's always convoluted because these Hebrew stories are just convoluted. And I can't tell you the whole thing now. We'd be here till dinner time. But anyway, you know, what happens is through a, these series of events, Joseph finds himself face to face with the people who have betrayed him, lied about him, reduced him to slavery for a, a period of time. But now he has risen to this high place. And here they are face to face and they suddenly realize who they're looking at. It's the brother that they sold into slavery. And they're anxious about his response. And at the climax of the reunion, Joseph said to his brothers, As for you, you meant it for evil against me. 
but God meant it for good. So is it any wonder that people hearing the story of this new Joseph would have, have heard the, the ancient story of his predecessor? You see, there was a rumor, rumor circulating around about Jesus' birth that Jesus was the son of Mary through either an indiscretion or a rape by a Roman soldier. Diana Butler Bass points out that there is some historical confusion as to whether Christians' first claim of divine conception and their critics then smear Mary with some sexual shame, or that Mary's adultery or rape led to a virgin birth tale to cover up for Mary. Either way, either way, the story was out there, and Bass explains that it shows up in ancient sources. But most of us, as people who may have been in the Christian church, some of us for years, have never even heard that, right? We've heard this story. The writer of Matthew did not shy away from the, the rumors, did not shy away from how people might interpret who Mary is or why, Jesus, why Joseph does what he does. The story says that Mary was found to be with child before her marriage to Joseph, putting it right out in front of everybody, the whole world, centuries of the whole world, to read and hear about. And when Joseph chooses to remain engaged to Mary, he does so at his own costs. In effect, marrying Mary and raising her child lowers his status, ruins his reputation. People call him foolish, stupid, in fact. And doesn't that have you asking yourself, why? Why would he do that? when the path of putting her away quietly, sending her back to her father's house, would save her life and his reputation? Why would he do such an outlandish thing? More than 2,000 years before our time, we look back on a household of a Jewish Orthodox home at the father of a family apparently not very different from many others in that period. They were all struggling under Roman rule and occupation. And here we come to contemplate a shameful scandal. And yet Joseph allows Mary and the child she carries to live. Joseph stays close to defend and love them, knowing all along that she could never be totally his. In this silence, we cannot know how Joseph experienced such surrender. Matthew is telling this story at the outset of the gospel, is facing Joseph and Mary's and Jesus' detractors. The story is reminding us that it doesn't ultimately matter if you think that the adultery was rape or adultery, that the baby was brought about through rape or adultery. Because what was meant for evil, God means for good. Joseph's choice prefigures Jesus' own ultimate choice to choose love over hate. In other words, Joseph models in his very welcoming of Mary and Jesus into his life 
that this is how Jesus will, at the end of his life, react. The story we hear today is that God, as Joseph slept, offered a resolution to his dilemma that his human reason had failed to discern. My, one of my favorite professors at Perkins School of Theology at SMU is Dr. Alice McKenzie, and she imagines what happens this way. She says, as Joseph slept, an angel, a messenger of God, whispered a message to Joseph, interrupting his nightmares of accusations, rejections, and loss. Here, whispered the angel, is the key that unlocks your dilemma. Believe her. Believe her unbelievable story. Marry her and become the father of God's child. He will need a father to be accepted by others as he grows into manhood. He will need a father like you, capable of nurturing him and giving him a name. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, the one who saves. He will need a father like you to teach him to risk like the to take risks like the one you are about to take in order to confront the evil of the world. He will need a father like you to teach him to withstand the disapproval of others as you will soon have to withstand it. He will need a father like you to teach him what to do when all hope seems lost and only pain remains to model how to believe the unbelievable good that others may mean for evil, but God means for good. If you do not walk the hard road to Bethlehem, how will he ever learn to walk the cruel hill to Calvary? Why, you ask, would Joseph make such a choice to embrace Mary when the path of putting her away quietly would save her life and his reputation? Well, because of love. That Joseph loves God. And Joseph loves Mary. God's love manifest in Joseph and ultimately incarnated in Jesus is all about love. Last Tuesday, December 13th, was a good day in the United States. President Joe Biden signed an act enshrining marriage equality in federal law. As the president said, a day that America takes a vital step toward equality, toward liberty, justice, not just for some, but for everyone. And I can't help but remember all those churches, pastors, and people who during the early and difficult days of discussions about human sexuality determined quietly to stay and stand with LGBTQ plus people. Churches were forced to withdraw from their denominations because they dared to say that gay people could be married. Pastors were forced out of their callings and ministries because they were found out to be gay. 
And even now, there are those who want to restrict human rights of LGBT plus Q plus people, calling our lives unnatural and against the will of God. So why? Why would these churches, not just the big mega churches, but countless small country churches and suburban churches and city churches, small churches like ours, why would pastors of all denominations try to help their congregations understand scripture that teaches that all people are children of God? Why would they stand alongside us when there is so much to lose? Including experiencing violence at the hands of those who are so fearful. Why would good and faithful church members leave the churches who have left them? Churches that have, they have faithfully served, taught Sunday school for years, led youth groups, gone on mission trips, prayed for, shared potlucks with and Holy Communion with, stood alongside with people for years and years. Why would they now stand with us? I'll tell you why. Because they love God. And they love God's people. And, and when they stand for that, they become... God's love-filled presence in this world. Because they know the truth that there are some things more important than being right. There are some things more important than reputation. There are some things more important than power. There are some things more important than money. And they open themselves up to the angel of God who whispers to them, in their ear, others might mean it for harm. But God, your God, Emmanuel, God with you, means it for good. This is the good news, the gospel of the birth of Jesus Christ, Redeemer, Messiah, child of God, the good news for you and for me and for all God's people. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Amen.